Hello everybody, it's Maya and this is Motive. You know what you signed up for? It's February, it's heavy hitters everywhere, left, right, center, you can't escape it. So uh, should we just, you know, get on with it? After three days of being tortured in a BDSM equipped trailer named Toybox, Cynthia Jaramillo managed to catch a break and escape from her captors, including David Parker Ray, the most sadistic of serial killers. This brought the end to Toybox Killer's 45-year-long reign of terror. We know the crime, we have our killer, we have our victim. What was the motive? If you check the Twitter feed, you know what we are covering this month, um, and, you, and if you listen to my podcast, you know why. So, there's going to be three heavy hitters, and then last week, well, you suggest what I do last week, I think I'm going to do something really super light, just to be like, fuck Valentine's for February, you know, just do something like a Luigi Longi case, where it's, you know, just one article, the case doesn't have to be super, super real. <laughs> has to have some validity like images of a killer and the victim yeah go like suggest a case guys for now we are focusing on a toy box killer and how he has been actually discovered after this many years of terror he has been discovered because um one of the victims cynthia haramino actually managed to escape a toy box so she managed to catch a break after Ray's partners like went to pick up a phone and left the keys to her chains behind on the counter. And then the fight ensued because the partner actually figured out uh, that she was trying to escape and uh, Cynthia actually stabbed her with the ice pick. This toy box had all sorts of objects. The fact that there was an ice pick there is, is completely is the least weird thing out of everything you're going to hear today. So she is running, she has like still a collar around her neck, she managed to take the chains off her like legs and um, legs and arms and yeah, she's just running the streets and um, yeah, she managed to get the, get picked up and get helped and they actually found, um, they actually found David Parker Ray roaming the streets searching for her. So now imagine you're a police officer, you just witnessed this. And you find a guy, you locate a trailer nearby, you walk in and you're scarred for life. Because this trailer, there are images online if you want to check. Well, I wouldn't suggest you check if there's one thing in this case, is if there's a recording of a tape. Okay, just remember that part, yeah? And if you are not into being visually disturbed for the rest of your days, maybe don't check the images of the trailer. Yeah, maybe don't check the images of the toy box either. But, so they go into the into the trailer, and the prevalent is this gynecological kind of chair, where, you know, they spread your legs out. So that's like in main, in main view. There's a mirror on the ceiling, so the victim can actually see what has been done to her. And then everything else is aligned sort of as tools. So he aligned his sex toys as tools, he put... All, all of the drugs that he used on victims for, you know, to erase their memory. So all the rape drugs were in one corner. So it is genuinely like the personality he took was that this 
was it, it, I cannot describe it in any other words that this is his job. It's kind of like how you see mechanics workshop or go into a dentist office or you know go to your gynecologist like in a way that this was assorted, not that these people are going to have this thing on the side. It was all lined up as like he took it as his job. These were his tools to do whatever he had to do. Fucking disgusting. Okay. Now that's the I don't want to say professional part in him, but that's the part that he took seriously. And then the rest of the trailer looks like a disturbed teenage boy room because it has diagrams showing, you know, how to inflict how to inflict pain the best. Um, then there is like all these posters again and kind of like different motivational quotes or I wouldn't even call them motivational quotes. They're just disturbing like quotes that he probably read at some point again. And this took imprint in his head, so probably when he was a fucking teenager. And they find a coffin. Now, the coffin, I'm not going to spoil what the coffin played a part in, but you can already think of all the psychological things, if you're even slightly disturbed, or why the coffin might have been there. But we'll come to that. So after Vigil's escape, police uh, managed to apprehend Ray and Cindy Handy, who was his accomplice, who um, Vigil stabbed into the neck. Ray was arrested. So, like, now around that time of the arrest, they're looking into, you know, how this hasn't come up, has anybody reported anything similar, and then they realize there was another victim, Angelica Montano, that came forward, and she actually told a similar story, and it reported the incident to the police, but there was never any follow-up. So there's two other victims that have survived, but none of them has been believed, because, again, this is such a bizarre story that unless they actually you actually do it the way Cynthia did it, where you escape and you're like all scarred and bruised and have a call around your neck, nobody will actually believe you. This is the fucked up thing on this story. And when it comes to the dead victims, so the one he actually disposed of, the bodies were never discovered because they were dumped down like the abandoned mines on the east side of this lake. So he just had a perfect territory and he knew exactly where to dump the bodies because they like drowned the lake that looked like try to look in it and they try to get it out of him but of course he wouldn't like say anything so now they're interrogating people they're actually collecting the evidence and they find a uh, video of another victim kelly garrett um which dated back to 1996 so that was three years before they caught him so he was caught in 99 so garrett was the other victim uh, that has survived but again hasn't been believed so what happened with her so Ray actually believed he killed her, so he slashed her throat and just dumped her on the side of the road. Uh, but she actually managed to survive and was treated at the cleaning. But her husband actually hasn't believed her story. Sorry, if you if you marry... This is somehow the part that triggers me a lot. Because how, how, what do you believe? Like, so the husband believed like she went out and cheated on him. She's there with a cut net, bruised and abused. Are you see? I don't understand. Even if your partner was to be involved into like BDSM and to actually you think like they're promiscuous and shit, come on, some common sense. She's at a clinic, she was found at the side of the road. Son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> the police also uncovered that there was two actually two other accomplices. So one was uh, Glenda Jean Ray, with um, more famous with her nickname Jessie Ray. That was actually Ray's daughter. Just imagine that. Just imagine the whole fucking family. And the other one was Dennis Yancey. So it was Jesse, Dennis, and uh, Cindy Hindi that 
with his girlfriend, they're all accomplices. And it will very soon, very soon come to light how they have met and how the crimes actually occurred. Because let's discuss the crime. Need a break from like hooray with a word from our sponsors? Well, guess what? We don't have sponsors, so I'm just gonna jump in with the recommendation because we all kind of need to take a breather before you know we discuss his background and crimes. So. Uh, what I would heavily recommend this week is this series on Netflix. It's new, you know, just, just the way I liked it. <laughs> it's on Netflix, which I subscribe to, thanks to my husband subscribing to it. <laughs> and it's on True Crime, which again, I kind of like. It's actually... No, this series is a big recommendation for Black Mirror fans. If you're a Black Mirror fan, get on this. It's called Omniscient. I believe I pronounced <laughs> <laughs> I believe I'm pronouncing this right because actually Google has a fuck to pronounce it because I thought it was different. Okay, anyway, I can't believe nobody developed this idea before. It's about drones and this thing called the system that controls us and this girl works there as a trainee and then investigates her father's death because they're not releasing the footage to her and it's just what I obsessed with with the story it's not even the true crime bit of it it's the drones and like how they record them and how they like spot the patterns on her like in terms of behavior in terms of facial in terms of gestures and then how she manipulates that you know obviously to sort of hide the, you know, new patterns she's developing is just amazing. Um, and they kind of left it, not really on a cliffhanger, but there's definitely, I mean, it would be pointless to cancel it now. <laughs> so, yeah, let's just say, I hope there's going to be a second season. So definitely go watch that. It's Brazilian Portuguese, by the way. And if you haven't watched 3%, it's another great series. It's also Netflix. It's also Brazilian Portuguese. Listen, Portuguese people, you know what you're doing in terms of series. I respect. I respect. If anybody wants to recommend me anything else that's really good in Portuguese, I'll believe it. I'll watch it. Fuck it, because now I believe that you guys know what you're doing. Um, let's go uh, back to this sad, sad, depressing story, shall we? Yeah, will we? Shall we? <laughs> what? So the way these crimes happened in many of the cases, um, it was either that his girlfriend Cindy Hindi, again, what a bizarre fucking name, would either pick them up on the street or they would be in a bar and she would be like, yeah, you have a place to stay, whatever. Or he actually worked for the government as a mechanic. I don't know how that works either. I don't know which freaking department this is, etc. But basically he had a uniform so he could actually... In the case of Cynthia Jaramillo, he approached her in the parking lot and he was pretending he was a police officer and then that he arrested her and then just brought her yeah, to this trailer. So just important because we kind of need to realize he was not a charmer. He was not a guy who was good with words and who would just charm somebody in a bar and be like, yeah, let's go to mine. No, he has always given somebody the creep vibes, but he tried to always pretend he's authority and he's above them. Then once they would actually reach the toy box, he would play the most horrifying tape. I don't think you can find a tape online, but you can certainly find a script that's about 11 pages or 50, 50 minutes long if you were to play it. And it is the most disturbing fucking thing you will find online. So she is sitting there in the chair and he plays the tape and he just watches her react. And on the tape, well, it starts with, hey, bitch. So he immediately dehumanizes her. 
and it goes to proceeds to tell every single thing he's going to do with her so like what her body is going to endure where different body parts are going to be and where they're going to be used to and then he goes even deeper talking about psychological levels so like his friends are going to abuse her different girls have gone through this she might not like it or she might actually enjoy some things about it how long he's planning to keep her so that he sometimes he keeps victims for months that many of them have died and then the most if, if there is one part that sticks out is the most disturbing he actually describes how him and his mates would spread out a girl and allow one of the dogs to yeah to fuck the, the woman so he goes into details of every single thing i am not going to read any parts of it you can find it online and i have certainly found certain parts of it and it's all great it doesn't help you sleep at night does this guy fuck with bdsm so heavily this is what uh, oh, it makes the hair on my neck stay because it's something that should be consensual it's something that should involve pleasure of both people not just one fucking psychopath like there's never been like a serial killer that did something boring ordinary and then just you know in that way kill multiple people no they always twist something they always pick like one thing that they grew up with or something and they just fucking twist it and turn it stop fucking with bdsm okay this case is basically really great for one thing. If you really need to put an all-nighter and you're really sleepy and you're like, oh, I need something to like creep myself out so that I can definitely not fall asleep tonight, you know, to finish writing this essay and to finish this work. This is the case. Just listen to other podcasts and mine, yeah? Just listen to me cover it, other podcasts cover it. Find this fucking tape, yeah? And don't sleep for days. Just become an insomniac. So after he plays the tape, he obviously goes to, he continues to do all of the actions he says he will do on the tape. And yes, some of the victims, as I said, have been kept for months before he decided they were not good enough. There were some that, hey, either, because he used to choose really young victims, so he used to choose them in their teenagehood. So of course, some of them might have been virgins or might have been tight or might not have actually endured everything that he would stick up them yeah all of the dildos and the sex toys since you ask well his fucking psycho idea was to cause them obviously as much pain as possible he would use really humongous dildos to do so like he would in his mind he wanted to cause them to simulate birth i don't know how this guy uh, i don't know did he watch any birth you know any videos of women giving birth or whatnot, but this was stuck in his idea of, yeah, this was stuck in his idea of BDSM, to just, you know, so obviously, when it comes to virgins, like, it would cause them a lot more pain. There's actually a script about this one girl who would, like, find having sex really painful anyways, and he, um, you know, and once he kidnapped her, he basically told her if she doesn't serve him well, if he can't actually, you know, use all the sex toys on her, she's good for nothing and she might as well just die. I know you're all thinking about the trailer image that I portrayed in your head and you probably googled by now and you're like visually disturbed and you're like, well, how do I continue with my day? The coffin. Why did he have the coffin? So when I first, like, read this, so when I first heard about David Parker and when I heard about the coffin, I was like, okay, it's just, he basically doesn't care how he buries them, so 
you know, like I was like, okay, that's twisted. Like has the coffin there, just for intimidation. So, you know, he's just like, yeah, but this is where you're gonna end if you don't comply. Um, and then just, you know, disposes of them in that same coffin, pours them in the mines and then, you know, just go, go, like just returns the coffin back to the toy box and then uses it on the next girl. Now, it's a lot more psychological than that because this guy was just the most sadistic person that you can think of. What he did is, remember the part when I told you that he used to bring sometimes a party of girls, you know, for his friends and dogs? That part, mm-hmm. on the most psychological way, how can you fuck up a person, you torture them, you put them in a coffin, you shut the box, and then she listens to you torturing another human being. And she's just there psychologically trying to disconnect, but she can't, because she is hearing everything that's happening about her. Just there's a special place in hell for people, like they're right? like specially designated for people who twist BDSM and purposes for coffins, yeah, you hear me, twist the purpose for coffins, special place in hell, yeah, go. In the early days, some of them might have died because he wasn't actually experiencing to like the electric torture and electric shocks and what else he was doing. And then what we know is there's only three surviving women. So we can only presume all of this happened to Cynthia in the three days before she actually managed to escape. During all this time, while they were there, they had to refer to him and Cindy as master and mistress. And then after he is done with them, he would dispose of them, you know, just as I was saying, in the mines by the lake. Like, the victims have never been connected to him, and none of these bodies have been recovered. So, so let's go into the background and try to explain why this fucker did the things he did. So he actually, as we're going backwards here, so we're going back three years ago, so he only met Cindy Hindi in 96, um, and they started dating, and that's when they actually met all the accomplices. So all the way back for the rest of what, 42 years, he was doing this on his own. So these three actually realized they were all into the sadism by 97. So it's like, hey, a few months in, and you're like, what is actually our mutual interest? It is to torture and kill women. Great, great bunch of people. Their daughter sort of joined on and off. When Cindy moved in, their relationship actually became more reliant on sadism. Because that's what fucking happens. Either you're going to run for your life or you're actually as disturbed and then you just need to rely on it to, uh, to be in a relationship with somebody. Because that's the only fucking thing that connects you. So before this, he actually divorced his second wife. And he yeah got a job in the government as a mechanic. So he had a uniform as well. So he would either pull the police officer card or would actually use one of his partners later on. But all the way before that, he was just using his power as, hey, I have a uniform, you know, yeah, I'm a person of respect, yeah, we can go chat. And then once he overpowers them, he just brings them to the toy box. Actually, about 13 years before he was caught, so 1986, his daughter reported him to the police. And as to motive why the daughter actually reported him, well... I believe that her ego was damaged and by that by that I mean her childhood was always messed up like so not as much as his but he would still introduce her daughter to you know his lifestyle any pornographic content anything so she knew pretty much that he was disturbed from the get go and witness stuff and he's just like hey my dad doesn't actually do stuff with me he doesn't actually get me involved into like all of his fucking weird shit but no evidence was found, as he already knew what he was doing, how he was disposing his victims, so that case was closed. 
So what's bizarre about any serial killer, most of them to be honest, is that they have always, they have in a lot of cases been married. So David Parker has been married twice, his second was a shotgun wedding. I'm obsessed with terms. <laughs> I believe the etymology is the word, but terms. <laughs> terms, guys. Shotgun wedding. Fuck, well, I just snapped my elbow in the print. <laughs> okay, where does the shotgun wedding term come from? Wikipedia is both failing me and enlightening me. Like, it's like it's American colloquialism, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, hello? Like, why didn't you give me the freaking etymology? Does it give me etymology at some point? No, it gives me films and books that fucking <laughs> mention it. But it also does the brilliant thing. Will you find out the etymology of the word? No. Because it's the etymology of two words, right? It's like a fucking Love Island contestant, like, trying to be like, oh, what's your favorite month? It's January. Why is it January? Because my birthday is in January. Like, what is life? <laughs> what was I discussing? What? Shotgun wedding. Okay. So, we know what it means. It's to conceal that the person, I mean, that the wife is pregnant. <sighs> but... There's different expressions for it in different languages, and the best ones are two of them, so Korean one. The word actually, the word for shotgun wedding actually means speeding over the limit, so it refers to the situation where pregnancy is preceded, where pregnancy precedes the marriage. And a Vietnamese word actually means because the doctor said so, is often used with humorous intention. Listen. <laughs> Because the doctor said so, it's just I would use that over shotgun marriage every, any day. What does Urban Dictionary say? Ooh, wow, Urban Dictionary gave me a better definition than freaking Wikipedia. Go Urban Dictionary sponsorship right now. <laughs> so shotgun wedding originates where the father of the pregnant girl would force the baby's daddy to marry his girl at gunpoint. Yeah, I knew that. Like, that's the obvious explanation. What the fuck? This gun was most likely a shotgun, as many fathers in the United States were hunters. <laughs> Again. <laughs> it doesn't satisfy me, okay? But yeah, words in different languages definitely do. Words and expressions. Tell me, tell me, how do you say shotgun wedding? Yeah, email me, motipod.gmail.com. What is your word for shotgun wedding? Expression for shotgun wedding. And then, what does it actually mean? Does it mean because the doctor said so? Because that's by far the best one yet. Yep. Vietnam, you win today. He used his wives sort of to experiment with some of the BDSM to kind of assess like how much pain is enough and like how obviously nothing as extreme as he would done before because hey, they were his wives and then he would just take it all out and all of his experiments on the victims. But his first foray into sadomasochism actually happened in mid-1950s when he was only a teenager. He obviously came from a messed up childhood. Chicanis is no surprise. Um, actually, from what I've read, a lot more messed up than like Robert Picton that we covered earlier on. Um, so his father left him and his sister to live with like a grandfather. Yeah, his dad would just basically expose him to any any pornographic content they would find, which back then was magazines. He even apparently told his first wife that this is when he first kidnapped a woman and tied her to a tree and tortured and murdered her. And authorities didn't manage to verify this story, but again, have they managed to find anybody this guy has disposed of? 
it's like his relationship with his wives are like the classic 50s tale of you know I, I bet that this guy had a room that the wives couldn't go into which again red flag if this happens to anybody nowadays i don't know what you're doing with your life like have you not listened to anything have you not watched like any television it's like you need to have some healthy level of those of true crime intake in your life to understand if, you, if your husband you know if your husband or partner just locks themselves up in this one room or their garage and stuff and never lets you in there there's dead bodies around okay like, they have some dead souls on them they might be sweating at night because or might not because they don't fucking have the consciousness do they so his disturbing fantasy started at the age of 10 but they developed once he actually started using tools he just took the word tools way too seriously from the get-go this guy just shouldn't have been a mechanic or left with tools just certain passions and obsessions that you should healthily know you should abandon you know <laughs> and we know about all of this background and we know about everything he did with his victims because he used to journal this man was the dear diary man of serial killers so when it comes to another thing that the police found in the toy box was sort of a diary of everything he used to do to these women so it was the dates that he would kidnap them, it was like a tally of days he kept them on. Just imagine, you're a victim and you're just seeing somebody keep a fucking tally of what he has done to you, or like how many days you were there and you're just there like trying to fucking stay alive. Oh, and he used to rate them. Again, he was just rating them from like one I think was the best. So this journaling habit started from the early days. Which again can speak sort of to the motive, was he the smartest person if he had to actually note down everything? It is fucked up, but sort of it's more understandable for him to, to note like I don't know how many days and when he kidnapped them. Again, really dumb if the police gets on it. But in terms of noting down everything, like what causes the most amount of pain, which tools to use to enforce this... Again, if you're an expert of something and you have been doing something even equally disturbing as this for about, what, 45 years, you would kind of know without the need to write this. I know this is fucked up to say, um, and I'm not justifying him in any fucking way. I'm just saying he is definitely not the smartest serial killer we'll ever cover. So after high school, he actually worked as the auto mechanic before joining the army. Can this piece of shit join the army? What are we on about? So there he also worked as a mechanic and he received an honorable discharge from the army. So let's have some deep dive on young David. So when it comes to school, it will come as no surprise to anybody that he was shy, timid, uh, just trying to stay out of trouble while everybody else was imposing authority over him and bullying him. And then he was just forming that anger within him that like, what? Sorry, there's a van in front of my house that says CSI Solutions. Fuck it, Google the company happening guys this company doesn't exist what guys this company doesn't exist i'm genuinely scared if somebody's getting like gonna get fucking taken and shit i'm just flying on this fucking land why does weird shit always happen when i record podcasts like it doesn't exist there's cis services or security there's no company like this so what somebody just imprinted something on the van no this is a dodgy situation Okay, I'm just gonna keep talking and keep an eye on this fucking man. <sighs> so he was bullied by the classmates and then of course he was forming like a violent rage inside because he was a pussy who couldn't display it and then he was like, yep, I'm going to just form authority over somebody else in the future and uh, 
yeah, continue my life in a very fucked up, disturbing way. It's just the amount of bullies that ends up being a bully is... When it comes to bullying, I don't know what a healthy way is to deal with it, to be honest. I just really wish there was one correct way to deal with bullying and for people not to actually grow up and then become serial killers or like bomb their fucking schools and like have a shootout and shit. So much of his spare time in school was spent alone drinking and using drugs. He would never stand up for himself. And like in his very young days, well, his family was all fucked up and his aunt actually, his aunt actually forced him to have sex with her as well, making him hurt her for pleasure. So that's where BDSM came into picture of in like during very early age. During his school time as well, he developed like the sec- um, secret fascination of sadomasochism. So his sister was actually the one to discover the collection of erotic photographs um, displaying like acts of bondage and sadomasochistic drawings. So he was born and raised in New Mexico, where they lived like on um, where they lived on a small ranch. And uh, his father was an abusive drunk. He would lash out on the wife and kids and beat them up. And he went, like eventually left his mom when David was about 10. And then she made a decision to send the child to the grandparents. And well, we know that those were some dodgy characters as well. His aunt would visit and you know what happened there. But yeah, before their divorce, even before he was 10 years old, like his dad used to show him pornography. And his mom used to be involved with drugs and alcohol. So he probably saw that combination of, hey... Like, the f- that is the dominant figure who is obsessed with, yeah, with pornography and BDSM. And the women, you know, just take drugs. And this is how life is supposed to be. You're supposed to impose authority over your wife and kids. Just perfect breeding grounds for Celia this family. Perfect. When it comes to the victim, so uh, Cynthia Jaramillo, there's not much about her childhood. But there's only one article that it's very easy to find because again the story about this is that well her name now is associated with a toy box killer so whenever she pops up it's as a victim of of him and this article is from 2016 and it's again a very sad story where her oldest son has been shot to the head and then her younger son was arrested and charged with murder in a separate case and all this is happening to her as she is pregnant it is just such a sad fucking case as well. And then there's no news of her childhood or of what happened after this event as well. A lot of you might say that people should actually change their names after, you know, the attack or after, yeah, being faced with a serial killer, etc. I actually, yeah, I actually don't agree. I think the media needs to change how we portray them and that we don't portray them as victims for the rest of their life. Because she fucking is a survivor other than victim. Now onto the motive. Okay, so the, for the motive, two things tie together perfectly here. It, he had a childhood perfect for breeding a serial killer, um, and he was a bully that became a bully. So he loved inflicting control because he saw multiple people throughout his childhood. So including his parents, grandparents, aunt, his classmates, do it and get away with it. And then he applied those skills in the future and once he grew up. Actually, an FBI expert, an FBI expert in criminal sexual sadism, defined him as one. So she said this is because of his toy box and custom equipment and their potential lethality and the time, money and effort that it it took to keep this a secret. 
So she said um, that there's a known therapy for raised paraphilia, psychosexual disorder, but that his behavior can only be stopped by apprehension. So let me know what you think in terms of motive. But yeah, in terms of what I think, this is a definite case of nurture um, rather than nature, because had he not been born into this fucking family, had he not been just passed on as a toy and just toyed around with the school, you know, the toy box would have never existed. So nicely put. God, why have I used the word toy this many times? This needs to get out of my head straight away, this fucking And then let me know what you think about bullying. And what is the one strategy that actually works? Well, against bullying from the young age and then to make sure that the actual person who has been bullied grows up to be a normal human being. What the fuck works? Now onto the rapid fire facts, which again are not like fun at all in this case. He has actually only served three years in prison. Well, he has been like apprehended and then there's a trial and whatever. So technically you could actually say he only served one day in prison out of his 224 year sentence because he had a heart attack and died. There is no justice in this world. There is just no justice. You just need to have moral grounds and grow up and not commit crime, or at least in, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s, you could fucking just get away with anything for decades and then just die out of a heart attack while everybody else has suffered the consequences. Fucking shit. And of course, he got like the, he was sentenced to 224 years, but he has only been sentenced for the crimes he has inflicted upon the three living witnesses because they couldn't find the rest of them. The saddest, funniest fact about this is that he has called his toys his friends this is this is like the part of me where i'm like this is why we need to focus on bullying because these kids grow up being mentally still at the age of like when they were bullied so he was still mentally 10 you cannot he was to see the toys to see the toys as his friends to structure the place the way he did which i said like he put everything, you know, on the walls, on the surface, like, area outlined as if, yeah, he was a mechanic or a dentist or somebody using his tools. And he actually saw them as his friends because they were probably the only fucking thing that brought this pervert a joy, some joy in his life. But this is the saddest, this is the saddest, funniest fact in this story. <laughs> Just imagine this guy as a, as a teenager, right? Like, oh, oh, David, David, who's, who's your best friend, David? Oh, my best friend is in the shape of a dildo. Sorry. What? <laughs> should be should be hospitalized, David. David is a weird. David is a bit weird, isn't it? Oh, my second best friend is called the Soul. It's a cool nickname, isn't it? And then he, he grows up and his best friends are dildos and souls. Guys, if a fucking child tells you his best friend is a, in the shape of a penis, either they're fucked up in the head and obsessed with their dick, or they're gonna grow up to be a David Parker Ray. There's no, there's no in-betweens. It's always a drastic one, okay? Fucking, if, if, if you have the need to tell the other child, oh, they're a bit weird, they're fucking weird. Hospitalize your child. <laughs> Did I just give motherly advice again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Another fact is that the place that where he committed all this, the Toy Box trailer place, is called Elephant Butt. Well, it's Butte, but it's just the names of these cities. It's 
So the elephant bar is like a town of like a thousand three hundred people. But the actual city where he committed it is called Truth or Consequences. So please, who names these areas? How can you name an area true for consequences? Like, well, it's not a choice. There shouldn't be an or in the name of a city. For a British person to listen to this podcast and just name the city, you know, milk or sugar. <laughs> who names the cities, guys? Who should I send an email to, please? <laughs> please, I mean, I have a professional business email. <laughs> Ending with at gmail.com. That's the obvious professional business email handle. <laughs> I can I can influence people, guys. Milk or sugar, let's make it happen. Oh god, where is this? Okay. Oh yeah, this is perfect. I'm just looking at the map. This is what is happening. Yeah, this is a perfect area. The Butte area. There's just like canyon, the state park, and the lake. Plenty of space to dispose of anybody. And again, middle of nowhere, sort of close to El Paso, close to New Mexico, close to El Paso, clo- close to Mexico. You know when you wish to know, can these, can some of the, you wish to know, can people actually get away with similar crimes in those, you know, in those isolated areas without people actually committing the crime? Like, is anybody testing that shit out? Just, you know, doing like the mock, you know, like a police officer, just trialing, just like a police officer, you know, doing a research project of like, hey, let's do it with a dummy and then can you find the dummy? Okay, stutter keeps me night sometimes. I research this at like 3 in the morning, okay? Why, you ask? Because, you know, life is a constant struggle, that's why. Sources for this podcast have been Ranker.com, Fortco, Murderpedia, Serial Killers Podcast Podcast. Give some podcasts, podcasts some love, please. They have so many, but like a lot of them are really good. My favorite is Hostage. Might be because I'm slightly obsessed with hostage situations, which nobody fucking understands because everybody thinks they're the same. They're so not. There's so much more psychological thing going into hostage situations. Okay. Um, other sources, yeah. Last podcast on the left, uh, the early, the good early episodes. Wikipedia and Albuquerque Journal. Albuquerque Journal. God, that's it. So much of nothing happened. As always. So much. Energy drinks industry again profited a lot by my shifts and my weirdness lifestyle, which is changing from February. I'm not gonna be working 50 plus hours using fucking Intercom for customer service. Love you, Intercom. Love you. Great platform. I just don't like staring at you 12 hours a day. It's not cool. Life just staring at the laptop for hours and hours on end every day is not made for me. No. Microphone is my life. Kelly. Apart from Omniscient, this week, Bojack Horseman is up. Let's just, one last time, let's live it up. Let's give it up for Bojack Horseman. Just the best animated portrayal of life. So depressing, but so fucking satisfying. Now this podcast is out, you can all hear my voice, and multiple voices, and my nasal. All I ever wanted is to voice the animated character, so uh, you know where to find me. In terms of my booming personal life, hilarious, hilarious. I'm actually quite proud of myself this week, mostly because it's end of January and I kind of established that I'm going to continue doing something that I introduced as a habit. So in January, uh, 
the nice segue onto the topic of this episode, which is kind of abandon some of your teenage childhood habits. At the beginning of January, I decided it's gonna be a no-bread January, because dry January already kind of works for me, like, I don't, I barely ever drink, because my social life is booming, as I mentioned. So I was like, which one is going to be challenging? I need to deny myself bread for the whole month. Let's do it. It's a challenge. And yeah, I've done it. I failed on day three, <laughs> I'm gonna admit it. I didn't realize burrito is a bread. I didn't realize burrito has bread until it was brought, you know, in front of me. And I was like, okay, I actually need to start thinking about this. So yeah, if there's something out there that you're dependent to that point that, you know, hey, you order coffee and then you order a piece of something. Yeah, that, that, should, that should go. Yeah, February, I'm denying myself sweets. I really, I really don't know how to have fun in life. <laughs> but hey, I'm proud of myself for something, for fuck's sake. Another great thing is when I hear, you know, positive comments about this spot from mostly friends and from one source this week, Rotated Reality. Shout out to you guys from Denmark. Shout out to the team. I hope you guys continue making YouTube content and, uh, you know, keep up with the conspiracy theories on Luigi Longhi and anybody else. But yeah, I love hearing when, where I'm now, what so many podcasters are for me. Which is, hey, I wake up, I'm like, okay, hey, Motive comes on Monday. Which is that you wake up and you're like, ha, this is the Monday podcast. Yep, it's Motive Monday. Let's do it. Let's download. Let's listen to Maya's bullshit again. You know, while at work or commuting or doing something probably that doesn't require you, you know, to pay much attention where you just want to zone out. Yeah, because you never, there's so much content out there. You never have to live with your own thoughts again. Don't do it. Just don't do it. If if any advice for me, don't ever live in silence. Just always have something in the background. Have me in the background. Just really listen to all my (laughs) until I have like thousands and thousands of views. Views, you know. (laughs) And join Patreon communities. My listeners, they're probably like, Maya, we are broke. Like, we don't have money for that shit. Most, you know, Patreons set it up so that you get extra content for fiber a month, like me. So, come on, you don't have fiber a month. But, like, every cup of coffee now is, like, over three pounds. Plus, what you can do is, you know, join every few months, then cancel it, then rejoin. That's sort of what I've been doing myself as well. I'm guilty of it. So, hey, you guys can be guilty of it as well. So, what I've done last year, I listened to Crime Junkie. Now, I joined as a patron to last podcast on the left. Next one is Red Handy, the girls from the UK. They're doing really well. It's just, you know, support the community. Moti Podcast, why not check me out? Actually, I'm doing something revolutionary to end this episode. A revolution. It has never been done before. Which means it has been done before by literally everybody. Because it's 2020 and I'm about four plus years late to podcasting. And fuck knows how many years late to the internet things. So, uh, yeah. To encourage you to join the Patreon community, I'm going to show you a little preview to the February episode. So... Right now, right now, I'm gonna outro myself, right? You know the famous line? And then you have a couple of minutes with the February Patreon episode. You know, if you by any chance are then prompted to click on the fucking link in the description and join me on this Patreon journey, I mean, who am I to stop you? Because we should all be making the world a better place, one motive at a time. I'll break down the influence of production, social media, and the fame had on their lives before, during, and after their appearance on the show. And why? Well, because it's current, it's controversial, and we need to discuss 
what impact these shows and the production and this kind of level of fame that happens over the course of a few months actually does to a human being. So rather than the motives behind the crime, in this episode we're discussing the extent the social media, the production and the fame had to do with the suicides of Sophie Graden and Mike Tlastetis. Let's dive in. So the way to break down the production. First of all, when I watch it, I think about it. Um, well, the first thing you should think about is how they choose the people. So apparently in 2019, there was 80,000 people that applied for the show. You just imagine like the production from so the pre-production already or the psychologist or whoever chooses the profile of these people needs to go through how much footage, you know, how many applications, how many social media profiles and then to choose the combination that they think is right and can work right for the show. So that's already quite problematic. And you can see this year how they actually tone it down. It's just the caliber of people is not as easy to snap or it's not as yeah, as dramatic as they would do in the past in some of the past seasons. But I watched just on YouTube for the purposes of this Patreon episode. Then you kind of need to focus on the contracts. So do they have any idea what comes with it? So apparently in this research what came up is that the cast are told they should consider all the potential implications of taking part in the show and the work work through decision-making process in consultation with their family and those closest to them. You kind of need to know some of the people don't actually even tell their family they're gonna appear on it. I think Mike Tlacitus even didn't consult. I think he told the family, of course, because he can't just disappear and then show up on TV. But he didn't tell like, his uh, football coach, etc. So, again, were some of these decisions really rash? And what do these contracts even say? Oh, peace out. Send me your motives. Or don't, you know, keep your conspiracy theories yourself. Whatever, guys. What, what is happening in this neighborhood? I don't even live in the hood. I live in Zone 4 London. This is unacceptable. Also really strange if you actually can't hear it, which I suspect you can, because this is a microphone and not fucking Auschwitz. Okay, it's, it's time, yeah, I mentioning Nazi Germany, it's time for this to end. Sorry guys. Love ya! Bye fuckers! <laughs>